You're about to hear a sermon from Han Vision Church in Lawrenceville, Georgia, delivered by Joe Song from our study on the Gospel according to Matthew. Thanks for listening to Han Vision. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 to 24. It's exciting. We are, we are moving on to the next section here. Verse 21, it says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed on the third day and be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. This, uh, this passage, it begins in verse 21. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show, right? When, when this passage, it says from that time. So the question is, if you're just jumping in, like you haven't been with us for the last couple of weeks, like what's going on right now? From that time, from what time? Something must have happened. Something important must have just happened for them to say from that time on, right? There's always, when important things in your life happen, you always like mark your life from that time on. And there's like before this and, and, you know, after this. It was like before I was married and then I got married. And from that time on, I was you know, whatever, things were different or whatever, things like that. Like before I had children, but then I had children. And from that time on, I never had any more free time. You know, like things happen in your life, momentous things. And then from that time on, you mark. And that's something that's happened here in this passage. Something huge just happened in the life of Jesus and his disciples. Their relationship has shifted in such a massive way that there was literally time before that. And after that, so the question is, what just happened? And we talked about this for three weeks straight, what, it, what just happened. So we got to jump back just a second um, for a few verses. And what just happened was Jesus took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, up in, the, up in the northern regions of Israel. And he said, he asked them the question in verse 16, uh, verse 15. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? He asked them that big question, who am I to his disciples? You've been following me. You've been seeing all my, you've been hearing my teachings. Now it's time for a decision. Who am I for real? Right? Jesus asks them to make a decision, to declare faith. And my question to us this morning is, have you made your decision about Jesus? Have you declared your faith? Have you made up your mind and made that step to declare, Jesus, this is who you really are. Because it doesn't matter what your parents believe about Jesus, what your friends believe about Jesus, or what others believe about Jesus. What matters is who you declare him to be. Who have you decided that Jesus is in your life? Is he truly God or is he not? Is he just a good idea or is he everything? Who is Jesus Christ to you this morning? Because on that, everything changes. Have you made your decision? And Jesus asks his disciples, don't just follow me, make a choice, right? And so many of us, that's what we've been doing. 
We've just been following. We've just been calling ourselves Christians. You just grew up in the church and you've been hearing all this stuff, but you never really made a commitment to Jesus Christ. And if you haven't done it, you really have not begun. Some of you, when I ask people like, hey, are you a Christian? And they say, yes, I am. And I'm like, oh, when did you make that decision? When did that happen? They just say, I was just born a Christian. No one's born a Christian. It's It's a relationship. It's a commitment that you make on your own because you decide that you now believe who Jesus is. Does that make sense? If someone asked me, Pastor Joe, when did you get married? I'm like, I don't know. It just kind of happened sometime. Like, I don't know. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, they're like, no, that's not. When did you say I do? When did you stand before the altar and make the promise? Right? And I'm like, I don't really remember. I don't think I did. Then you'd be like, bro, you're not married. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just the way it is. And that's how some of us treat Christianity. We're like, I don't know. I mean, I think I, I mean, I love God. And uh, I'm like, but did you make, have you made a commitment to him? Did you make a decision to follow him for the rest of your life that you made explicit with your mouth and you made a promise to God to be, to, and, and if you didn't do that, then like, yeah, like you're not married, right? You're not, that's, that's how it is. That's what, so Peter replies in verse 16, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You guys know what the word Christ means? It literally means king, not just any king, but the anointed king of God. Peter is saying, you, Jesus, you're not a carpenter. You're not just like a teacher. You are the king of the world the son of the living God. In those days, we don't understand, but you only get one king. You can't have a bunch of kings. You can't be like, you're my, sat, you know, you're, you're my king on Saturday, but you know, on Monday I have a different, no, like back in those days, who was your king? That's, you only get, you have, you pledge your life, your allegiance, your loyalty to your king, your monarch. And that is a person that has absolute authority over your life and everything you do. And when Peter declared, Jesus, you are the king of my life. You are the Christ. He was literally saying no to everything else. He was saying, you know, he was saying no to Caesar. He was saying no to the religious authority. He was saying no to everything. The, the, the king of my, is you. You guys realize when you say, if you declare that Jesus is your Christ, your king, you are at that moment saying, I am no longer in control of my life. My mom is no longer the ruler of my life. My parents are no longer. My friends are no longer. My ambitions are no longer. But now it is whatever Jesus you say, you are the king. And I say no to all other authorities that try to claim me. That's what it means to make a decision. And that's what changes everything. And when we make that decision, everything changes. And in the next verse, it says in verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter and our identity changes. And on this rock, I will build my church. And then God starts to build. You become part of his church. You become part of his community. You're no longer an individual once you become a Christian. You are now part of his gathering, his community. We are saved into a community. And so now, once you've done that, it's not the finish line. A lot of us think that making the decision, becoming a Christian is the final thing. You just got to do that before you die. You know, like that's just the goal at the end of the rainbow to, to say yes to Jesus and make that commitment and become a Christian. It's like, no, that's just the beginning. 
A lot of you have made the decision and you haven't done anything because you're like, I think I'm done. And I'm like, bro, you just, you have to now run. Like you have to really get started. You actually entered the race. You entered the faith. And now you have to do what the, like yet now go where Jesus is calling you to go. And now Jesus is like, yes, you guys know who I am. You know that I'm actually the king. Now let's go. It's time to get started. And that's what's happening right here. And in verse 21, it says, and so at that, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples what is really what's up, right? He should start to show his disciples that he must go. Now it's like, now you're going to follow me. I'm going to show you where I'm going to go. That he must go to Jerusalem. And we got to stop right there because they're way up north in Caesarea Philippi. And Jerusalem is way down south at the bottom of Israel. And Jesus is from the northern part of Israel. So they're like up here around Galilee. That's where all of his stories were. That's where he like walked on water fed the 5,000 all up here in Galilee. That's where Jesus is from. That's where they hang out. Jerusalem is the capital city. That's where the temple is. That's where the power is. That's where everything is, is Jerusalem is the center. But they weren't there. They're from up here. And Jesus is like, now that you know that I'm the king, that I'm the Messiah, guess where we're going? We're going to Jerusalem. And if you're a Jew, that's very exciting. Because when the Messiah, when the Christ enters Jerusalem, that's when everything starts to happen. Like in chemistry, when you take two chemicals and by themselves they don't do, but then when they touch, like they like explode. Does anyone know chemicals that do that? I don't know any. I just know that it happens. You know what I'm talking about? It's like when these chemicals touch, like it's just something happened. Like is like energy and is released and it's crazy. And that's what it's like. That's what the Jews believe that when the Messiah, when the Christ enters the holy city of God, Jerusalem, that is when God is going to start doing the thing that he has promised to do for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. The Old Testament is filled with promise after promise that the Messiah, the Christ, when he shows up, he's going to walk into Jerusalem. And when he comes, salvation will come. God's kingdom will come. So these guys are very excited that Jesus is like, you know where we're going? You guys just found out I'm the Christ. You know my secret identity now. Guess where we're going? We're going to, we're going to go to Jerusalem. You have to go there. Psalm chapter two, verse six, God says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion. That is, that's another name for Jerusalem, my holy hill, right? And then in Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine, it says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt. That was the promise hundreds of years before that the king will come to Jerusalem on a donkey. And so even as they're later, we're going to see when they're walking towards Jerusalem, Jesus is going to say like, guys, go get me a donkey. And they're like, oh shoot, he's going to do it. We saw this in the previews. It's about to happen. He's going to walk in and like all the promises of God are going to come down and salvation and power and glory and like victory for our people, you know, death to our enemies, vengeance, and like all the things that we've been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds of years are finally about to happen. And guess what? We get to see it and we get to follow him. Like how excited must they be when Jesus was like, let's go to Jerusalem now, right? 
where the temple was, where God's glory was going to return to the city of Jerusalem. In the book of Ezekiel, it says that the, the glory of God left because of Israel's sin, but there was a promise at the end of Ezekiel that one day that the glory of God would return along with the salvation of God. So Jesus is saying, it's time to go to Jerusalem. So the message was clear. And so they're excited. Jesus is like, let's go. I'm going to show you that I must, let's go to that verse, I must go to Jerusalem and suffer. Not just suffer, but suffer many things. It's like suffering is bad enough, but suffering many things is probably worse, right? Like you expected that when the Messiah finally shows up, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords shows up to his royal city of promise, the city of David that was promised that the King would come and build a throne and that would reign forever and ever and all the nations would come and bow down before the throne in Jerusalem. You think when that King shows up that everyone would just fall at his feet and he would be crowned. He would be coronated with majesty and all the people who have been waiting for the Lord to come in his power would like run to him and he would raise up his armies and they would fight the Romans and kick them out of their city and their country. And then they would start to conquer the world in the name of God. But instead of that, Jesus says, when I go to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to be beaten, mocked, spit on, rejected, laughed at. Suddenly, they're like, wait, what? Hold on. This is not the way, this is not the way it's supposed to be, right? Suddenly, Isaiah chapter 53, written hundreds of years before Matthew, says, he was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. As one with whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Suddenly, it's like, oh, wait a minute. The Messiah isn't just coming to rule, but he's also coming to suffer. Okay. So maybe before the glory and before the honor and before the victory, there's going to be some suffering. And you know what? The disciples are like, you know what, Jesus? You know, like, we'll, we'll follow you. We'll suffer with you. But then the glory, right? Because they know their stories from their Old Testament. They grew up with the story of King David, that before King David became the king, he had to suffer in the wilderness. He was chased around. People tried to kill him. He had to hide in caves for like a long time before he became King David. So just like King David, maybe King Jesus is going to suffer before he becomes the king, right? Before they come and exalt him. Or maybe it's going to be like Joseph, who in, the, in Genesis, he had to go to prison. He was sold into slavery. But then eventually, guess what? At the end of the story, what happens? He was risen up to power to become the most powerful man in Egypt to save the people. Maybe that's what's going to happen to Jesus. He's going to go in to Jerusalem and he's going to suffer. But don't worry, he's going to all the power and all the glory and all the blessings are going to come later. And we're going to you know, build a new palace for Jesus. And we're going to become like generals in his army. It's going to be so great. 
There'll be a little bit of suffering, but don't worry. We're going to get to the victory after the suffering. And then Jesus says, I will go and I will suffer at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and then be killed. It's like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> like, there's no coming back from dying. Like, okay, maybe you can suffer, but God will usually, you know, fix it at the end, but you're going to die? This is where they just stop listening. Because, like, that's, that's it. That's, there's nothing after that. That's the ultimate defeat to be killed. Everything in us, we knew that, like, like, that's it. Like, everything in us as humans, like, that's the final thing that you avoid is like, yeah, we're, we naturally want to avoid suffering, but we also know that like suffering is not the end. That's what we say when you're suffering in life, you're going through stuff. What do we say? We're like, hey, like you're going to get through this, right? Don't worry. Hey, as long as you're not, you're, at least you're alive. That's the hope. The hope is that you're not dead always. It's like, hey, I know there's a lot going wrong with your life right now, but man, you're alive. Right? You go through a car accident, your body gets all messed up. But it's like, think, oh, but you survived. You're alive. As long as you're alive, there's hope. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to go to die. There's no more hope in this world. So this is where Peter has heard enough. And he's, you know, he just stops listening. Maybe, you know, after Jesus says this, he doesn't hear. And he says, takes him aside and he rebukes him and say, far be it from you, Lord. May this never happen to you. Never. Like you, suffering maybe, but death, you are the king. You are the Messiah. We cannot let you die. Like, don't say that. And like, you hear this. And like, you can't help but like empathize with Peter because he's saying what anyone would say to someone that you care about. Peter loves Jesus. It's his rabbi. It's his Messiah. It's his friend. And when your friend is talking some nonsense about them, they're going to go and die. What do you say? Whatever you want. No, you don't say that. You, you're like, don't, don't talk like that. You know, don't say stuff like that. I'm going to go suffer. Don't come on, man. Don't look at life like that. You can't be negative. I'm just, I'm going to go die. It's like, don't you dare, right? Like, don't you dare say things. Like, that's just part, that's how we as humans, like we love because like we don't, we want to avoid suffering and pain for those who we love. And above all else, we want them to avoid death, right? It seems totally reasonable, what Peter is doing and saying. It seems like a completely natural response to what you would say to someone you care about. But here's the crazy thing. You have to realize that Satan often hides behind good intentions. He hides behind like things that make sense to us as humans. Things that seem to make perfect sense, that feel right to our sensibilities, that seem right to our human reason and intellect can be completely wrong. Because at the end of the day, God is what determines what needs to be done. 
You know, in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And in this situation, if Peter, with his like human love and righteousness, like got his way and Jesus, he was like, no, Jesus, never. You will never die. You must not die. Guess what? Then all of us are lost. It leads to death. It says the road to hell is is paved with good intentions. I know that's not what this is talking about, but you know, it kind of applies right here. Like it literally would have paved the road to hell if we went down Peter's good intentions. The ways of man is we always seek comfort, security, and avoiding pain and definitely running away from death. But God values something greater than even our earthly comfort and that is our eternal salvation amen there is something greater than avoiding pain and avoiding suffering and even avoiding death and that's eternal life and god cares about that much more these are and so god says you're not looking at the way what god sees you're not looking at why i came do you not realize peter this is already hard enough for me don't make this harder than it needs to be And I know right now, like you're saying this out of your human love, but human love is not going to save the world. You guys hear what I'm saying? Human love, no matter how much you love your son or your daughter, your love for them isn't going to save their soul. I know you love your parents so much, you do anything for them, but it doesn't matter. You can't save them. The only thing that can save them, I know you want them to avoid suffering and pain. I know you want them to be safe and be secure and be comfortable. That's what our parents want from us. You know what I'm saying? Like most of our parents are immigrant parents that came from hard times and their only desire for their children is like, I don't want them to suffer like I had to suffer. I want them to have a better life for me. I don't want them to go through the same mistakes they have that and that's human love and it's so great but it's so close but it is is not salvation we will not be saved by the love of our parents or our love for others the only thing that can save us is the cross of jesus christ is the love of god he said i must go and suffer and die and rise again he came for this he's like that's why i came i didn't come just to heal people to make you to take away your sickness to feed the hungry and to teach you more about god and how to be better and have healthier marriages and you know have better friendships and like you know live a better life that's more balanced and more rested and less stressful and less worried that's not why he came he came to die to save our souls from our sins and to defeat it by rising again amen A lot of times we come to church thinking like, I just come to get some advice for my life, a little bit of direction, get some friends, try to repair my marriage. That stuff's all great, but that's not why he came. He came to die, to suffer for us, to die for us. Do you guys guys have people in your life that are willing to die for you? Do you guys have anyone in your life that's willing to die for you? Some of us, we do. We have people in our lives that are willing to die for us. Some of it, it's your parents. Your parents are like, I'm willing to, I know my my parents are willing to die for me. And for some of you, you're like, I'm not sure about that. 
right? Some of you like have friends that are willing to die for you. Like you, I don't, you just have that bond. You're like, I'm willing to die for my friend and they're willing to die for me, I think, right? Some of you have a boy who says, girl, I'm willing to die for you. And you're like, I just met him two weeks ago and he keeps telling me that. And to that, I say, get behind me, Satan. All right, that's what you say to that, ladies, all right? Sorry, I got sidetracked. What were I talking about? Let's bring it back to the Lord. Okay, here we go. Some of us do have people who are willing, who say they're willing to die for you. The question is, why? What is the motive behind their willingness to die for you? There is always just one motive. It always boils out to what? It's love. You're willing to die for them because I'm willing, I look at my kids and I'm willing, like literally, like, yeah, like, and some of you parents might identify, like you see a car racing towards your kid in the street. What are you going to do? Right? Like you just without a thought, you're going to throw yourself to push them out of the way. And the only reason you're not like, because, you know, they, they made their bed this morning, you know, because they got you know, one day they're going to, you know, make a bunch of money. Right? Because they like, listen to me. No, it doesn't matter. Because you love them. That's it. The motivation for why you would give your life for someone else is love. And so, and at the human level, that like hits us so hard. You think about your parents or you loving your kid or how much you love another human. And that like makes you cry and stuff, right? It hits us so deep. But here's, there's might, and that might be true. There might be people who are willing to lay down their life for you right now. But how many people do you have that actually did? And that's what he did. I have people that might be willing to die for me, but I don't have anyone who actually did it. That's the difference. Jesus Christ came and he suffered and died for you. Past tense, he already did it. He doesn't just promise that he's going to love you. He loves you by doing it. He doesn't just promise you a way to eternal life. He literally gives you his life. Religion promises you a way to eternal life. Jesus with eternal life just gives you his on the cross. That's the difference between Christianity. That's the difference between what Jesus did and what people promise and what religions promise and everything in this world. It's those are promises, but what Jesus did is real. He died and suffered on the cross for you and for me. We are saved because he came to Jerusalem and he died for you. That's why you're saved. We're not saved because of how much you read your Bible. You're not saved because how sanctified you are or how you know little or much you struggle with a sin. You are saved because Jesus Christ came to Jerusalem 2,000 years ago and suffered many things and died on a cross and rose again. That is why we are saved. It has nothing to do with your morality or your performance or, your, or what you have done. It has nothing we are saved because of him amen and he did it because he loves you and so anyone in the room today that is struggling with does God love me the answer is look at the cross that's how much he loves you it's not an empty promise it's one that's already done anyone struggling with your worth today 
I feel like there's some people in the room because of their life, they're looking at it or they've been, you know, every time you look at Instagram stories and you're like, what is my life worth? You feel worthless because of a test or because of a, a what something said or some, what your parents said to you 10 years ago. It's still like you feel worthless because of it or because of a score or because of whatever. You feel like you're not worthy Let me give you a quick economics lesson. How do you determine where does worth come from? Where does value come from? How do you know how how valuable something is? What gives something its value or worth? It's what people are willing to pay for it. That's it. There is no, like, diamonds are worth a lot because people are willing to pay a lot for them. They're actually not that scarce. We actually know how to make them now. You guys know that? But you know why all of us guys have to pay so much for them? Because people are willing to pay for them. And that's what makes them, gives them their worth and their value. And so they are worth that much. You know where you get your worth and your value from? How much someone is willing to pay for you. And you know what you've been paid for? How much was God willing to pay for you? He already did. He gave his only son to die for you, his life. Your value does not derive from your performance, how much money you make, how good of a parent you are, how good of a son or daughter you are, how big your house is. It doesn't, that's not where we get our value from, guys. We get our value from how much God was willing to pay for your life. That makes us valuable beyond what you could have ever have achieved or imagined so if satan is telling you you're not valuable you're not worth it you have to prove something you tell you say get behind me satan my value comes from jesus and what he did for me amen Amen. i am loved and i know it He doesn't have to prove it not because of miracles not because he healed me not because he fixed my family I'm loved because of the cross. Because my salvation in my life doesn't come from miracles. It doesn't come from healings. It doesn't come from living a perfect life. It comes from what he did. And then what Peter forgot to hear was, and then three days later, I will rise again. Not only did he die for us, he defeated death for us, guys. You know why we avoid death? Because we can't defeat it. You and I are powerless against death. Every single one of us, before death, we can't fight it. We can't beat it. It will destroy, it always will overtake us. We can't do, we can throw your, you can throw your shoe at it. You could throw your money at it, your success, your influence, your Instagram. It doesn't matter. Death is coming for you all and it will defeat you all. There's nothing we can do. So all we can try, the best we can do is just try to run away from death. And so we run, we avoid it. We, we, we try to like just run and hide from it. And if you do run, you may avoid death a little longer. So you guys should get into running, right? <laughs> like, but you know, so we literally try to run from death. We try to work out our way from death. We try to eat healthier away from death, medicine, medicate ourselves. But we can't, we can't. We, all we can do is avoid because we can't defeat it. But you know what Jesus came? He didn't come to avoid death. He came to destroy death. Amen. 
And you don't destroy something by avoiding it. You destroy something by facing it and beating it. And that's why he came. Peter is like, Jesus, run from death. Don't go near it. And Jesus is like, that's literally why I came. I came to destroy this thing. So I'm going to walk straight into death. I'm going to walk into Jerusalem, walk straight to the cross and die. And then three days later, I will break this thing so that everyone who follows me will no longer have to be afraid of what death you we can walk into death because we know there's victory on the other side because jesus rose from the dead amen we have nothing to fear we have nothing to worry about if death doesn't scare us then why are you so nervous about your job why are you guys so nervous about a test why are you guys so nervous about some grades or if you're going to get into a college or whatever why are you so nervous we don't have to fear death it's been defeated We already have our worth. Why are you trying so hard, striving to try to make yourself worthy with these things? Guys, you don't. You are more worthy than you could ever imagine because of Jesus Christ. Why are you looking everywhere to look for love, to try to be loved by people who don't even care when you already have it? It's done on the cross. And that's why he went to Jerusalem. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the Hum Vision Podcast. We hope you were blessed. Join us next week on Hum Vision.